All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, just a disclaimer, uh, verbally or, you know, audibly, in case anyone's not watching YouTube live and listening on Twitter spaces, this is uh, not investment advice. This is all just our own thoughts on things, you know, macro markets, Tesla, Roblox, everything like that. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of interesting things to talk about this week with all of those things. Uh, but first, Matt, you put out kind of a Twitter thread, uh, kind of a Debbie Downer Twitter thread to the 10.5. Full. I was just reading it this morning and I didn't get a chance to talk to you much about it yet. And figured we just open source our discussion about it here. And, you know, you seem like you were not so impressed with the full self-driving 10.5, you know, just to temper expectations. I mean, you know, it's beta, but you're not you know, the impressions most of us are getting that don't have the beta is that like, oh, wow, this is like amazing from, you know, the other videos, but you had a different experience. Yeah. Tell us a little bit. Well, like maybe just to, um, you know, back up a little bit. I mean, that was kind of my experience or, or my, I guess my expectation before I actually got the software. You know, I was watching a lot of the videos. Uh, you know, we had Chuck Cook on here who was very, um, I think, reasonable with, um what's great about the software and, and what doesn't work so well. Um, and I've, you know, watched a lot of the Omar's videos and a lot of, uh, you know, the dirty Tesla videos, a lot of the other beta testers as well. And so my general consensus after kind of watching all those was that it's, it's not perfect, but uh, it's it generally pretty good. Um, and so, you know, once I finally got the software, it was just doing all sorts of, you know, very strange things. So, um, the biggest one, like it seemed to be within my own kind of residential neighborhood where, where roads aren't marked. Um, it just drives really, really poorly. Um, it, it constantly crosses over the, um, the, the center line. Um, so it'll like get into oncoming traffic on a pretty regular basis at four way stop signs. It like creeps very, very slowly. And then we'll kind of like progress a little bit and, and it's basically halfway into the intersection before it will kind of finally commit to, to going forward. Um, and, and then just also like a kind of a host of other issues. And the overall experience was, um, you know, really just that it's, you know, more stressful to, to have it on than, than, you know, not, uh, which is kind of what the CNN reporter had just said recently, where everyone was kind of piling on. It's like, oh, he's such a, you know, deceptive um, reporter. But, you know, as I read through his article, it was pretty similar to, to my own experience. So, you know, on Twitter, I'd seen a lot of, you know, only positive stuff on, on beta. And so I just wanted to share my own experiences, I'm not trying to kind of invalidate uh, that other people are having, you know, very good experiences, but at least where I am and, and with the, you know, about a month's worth of, of driving so far, um, it has not been very good. Um, and kind of the, the updates, I think I've had two updates since, since I, I first got full self-driving beta uh, and those mm -hmm. haven't really seemed to, to move the needle too much either. So, do you think that, you know, I mean, uh, you're in Detroit suburbs and such. Do you think that a lot of this could just be the fact that maybe a lot of the neural networks and the driving capabilities are kind of overfitted? I know we've heard that term before from Elon that it's sort of overfitted for California, especially, you know, San Francisco Bay Area, for example, that like it works very well in certain areas, whether it's Austin, Texas and San Francisco Bay Area and certain flat straight florida roads or whatever that it works best for certain areas that it's been trained on the most and maybe the road conditions in in detroit you know suburbia suburbia is very different in certain way characteristics that it's just not prepared for or do, what do you think matt about yeah that? I, so i i do think that's certainly part of the case um i mean one of the the biggest headaches that that i have is a lot of the um 
kind of turns onto out of like a residential neighborhood into a busy road, there'll be like a stop sign. And then maybe two or three feet in front of that, there'll be like a wall that's kind of like blocking, you know, views out onto the main road. And then, you know, it might be another five or 10 feet past that, maybe not 10 feet, but another five plus feet, um, you know, before you actually get to the, to the road. So I've noticed, you know, when, when I've kind of seen this, this, you know, perpetual bad behavior on, on these sorts of things, um, I, I've realized that when I'm driving, I kind of just blow right past the stop sign and, you know, get up to where the, the residential neighborhood kind of meets the actual uh, road that I'm trying to turn onto. Uh, but full self-driving doesn't do that. You know, it, it basically stops at the stop sign and thinks it needs to start turning there. So it turns the wheel. And then by the time it's pulled forward to where the road is, you know, it's at this like crazy 45 degree angle blocking because mm. it thinks it needs to turn too early. So like mm. that's an easy fix um, in, in my mind, uh, but they haven't fixed it yet. Um, and so I think, there, you know, there, there does need to be a little bit more fitting for, you know, like situations like that where the stop sign is is drastically different uh or is not the starting point for a turn um mm. but you know I've, I've had similar uh, other issues as well i mean one of the things that happened this morning that i didn't talk about was there was just like a normal kind of merge or uh i needed to change lanes to to make a right turn that was coming up and it had like a half mile space where it was like perfectly great to do so um and it ended up doing it like kind of jerky right at the right in front of a like a, a traffic that was stopped at like a red light so it like cut off this guy who was already braking kind of aggressively um so it just kind of like made a, a pretty dangerous decision at the mm -hmm. last minute when there were plenty of opportunities to do so beforehand so you sounds know, like you're still in like 10.1 instead of 10.5 <laughs> or something well that's what like you know and, and people have said like maybe you need to calibrate your cameras and that's possible i was actually trying to recalibrate them today it didn't quite finish that process so hmm. Um, you know, I'll report back if that made any improvements. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. but it just, I, I do think it's kind of important that we kind of give honest, you know, feedback, feedback. about whatever's yeah. happening and not just say like, oh, it's amazing. And, you know, Robo Taxis yeah. will be here in two months and Elon's a genius. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it is hard to say. I mean, your experience is so different from like Holmars and some other people mm -hmm. who are posting like raw footage of a complete drive with like zero interventions. Even Elon said he's driven a few times last night when Austin was zero interventions. So, I mean, I feel like their experiences are just so different than yours. There's something there. I don't yeah. think it's them white, like, I don't think it's them like, you know, trying to wash their experience to be no, like, oh, this is. This is amazing, even though they have hesitation, they have problems themselves. There's something there. Maybe it's the calibration or Detroit suburbia yeah. is different or something. There, um, I, I did get quite a few comments. Um, and if anyone's curious, you read through the comments on, on the thread that I posted. Um, mm -hmm. There's a good number of them. I don't know. I probably had 10 or 12 people uh, say something to the effect of this is very similar to the experience mm -hmm. that I've been having. Um, yeah. And I think most of the people who made those comments were kind of like, in suburbia or you know mm. otherwise like the the middle of the country not in in the, in the coasts yeah, um, yeah so so maybe it's just you know there's a difference in driving there but yeah. it, it also seems kind of strange to me because like the stuff that whole mars posts um you know in san francisco that looks like way more complicated <laughs> than yeah uh, than, than like or the even like my car uh, is struggling with yeah so. even if you watch hyperchain galley and his drives in seattle that looks pretty complicated some of those drives too yeah so yeah like like this should be relatively easier and so i you know i'm not yeah. like pessimistic on you know tesla being able to solve this um yeah. but it's it's clearly not really good um it, like yeah, my wife yeah. it's gotten to the point where my wife like is just like don't please don't turn it on while i'm in the car it's, <laughs> like, it's just like driving like this and 
<laughs> jerking all around and so yeah. yeah it's i mean it's i, I still like it because I, I i like seeing like the technology and, and you know like how it improves and i, I kind of sure feels like we're watching history like you know how bad it is like what, what, 10 15 years from now i'll be able to tell my kids yeah yeah like did all these crazy <laughs> things like my car tried to drive into a gravel pile and like tried to ram into a parked car like you would yeah. like, no i wouldn't do that so, yeah back in the early <laughs> days of autonomy that's what it did so i think it's impossible yeah it's funny yeah like i'm not, I'm not cool. trying to like, and we talked dump a bunch of cold water on it or anything but it, like I, I was just not hearing yeah. that voice out there of people yeah. saying actually my experience is bad and and once i posted that yeah i think a lot of people said yeah you know what that's that's pretty similar to, to my experience as well yeah and there's also the um i think the talk of like needing a, another hardware stack or you know cameras different camera placement or something and it's possible but i you know i think elon you know a, a month or a few weeks back when this was you know being talked about a lot he referenced something in a tweet or liked to tweet about how showing how easy it is to pop off the pillar like glass out exterior just pop it off and then you can take the camera out and replace it with like a wider fisheye lens camera or something like that it seemed like he Im implied that maybe that's the solution from just liking or tweeting you know responding to that tweet or something instead of yeah. having a whole new like car design you know you can't just like retrofit new cameras on the front bumpers of all the Teslas, that's going to be much more complicated than just like popping out the current camera, putting a new camera in right in the current spot, you know? Yeah. So I think that that very well could be, you know, this uh, uh, solution that would address a lot of this. I do think, though, anytime you have a hardware change um, and I'm not a, an expert in this space, but you're going to have kind of like a different um, feed of, of video coming in. So a lot of the kind of uh, point estimations and how far far away certain objects are um you know those will be different kind of pixel positions you know on a hardware three versus a hardware four so i'm not sure how long it'll take you know for hardware four kind of autonomy to catch up to hardware three whenever that launches but presumably there would be some sort of kind of time lag for, the, for that to kind of pan out yeah yeah absolutely so let's go on to you know i just started to change the format a little i just wanted to ask you because you just tweeted about that you know a few minutes ago and i was just reading it and uh figured we'd just open source our chat a little bit about that and anyway we'll move on to like the macro markets like we normally do i guess and you know it looks like there's a continuation of some kind of growth stock uh correction going on here today um what are your thoughts on this matt what do you think i kind of think um the confirmation of powell maybe uh yesterday sort of triggered this a little bit that's my yeah my suspicion Markets what markets do you think? were up a bit up until that news came um and that seems to yeah. be kind of like the the point where um you know the market started uh you know really turning turning red um so it's, it's interesting because I, like I, I think if if you had you know said if would powell be you know getting getting confirmed would that be good for markets i think most people probably would have said yes yeah uh, but it's like as soon as it actually happened people are like well maybe we're concerned about inflation now <laughs> or yeah, like yeah, you know yeah. too much qe going on um so yeah like uh, i think what it is is i mean my i've read some stuff about uh you know Bainer or brainer you know i can't remember her, <laughs> her last name but yeah. i've read some stuff and it sounds like she was more dovish than even powell has been and that like you know interest rates would have been you know it, it's implied almost that if she was taking the place of powell that interest rates would have remained lower for longer and 
if the market consensus believes that, and now she's not in the running anymore, she's taken out. Maybe that's part of the reason for the run up the last couple of weeks is, you know, to new creeping up to new all time highs is people were thinking, oh, great, we'll even have a more dovish uh, person in, as the Fed chair. So rates will stay lower even longer. And so we should be discount valuing our growth stocks accordingly. And now that that's out of the equation, they have to adjust, you know, their valuations of all the growth stocks, especially. That's sort of my suspicion. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that's valid or what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the, the market reaction does seem to kind of um, support that that viewpoint. Um, but I, th I think it's kind of like we were saying last week. I mean, like something has to give eventually. I mean, you can't just kind yeah. of QE 20 billion a month or, or whatever it is yeah. for, you know, the next decade. <laughs> so yeah. like at some point you've got to figure out, like, what's the right off ramp here for monetary policy? Uh, yeah. and, and it doesn't seem like there's there's really a great um, viewpoint of how to how to handle that. So I think some of the, the jitters that, that we're seeing in the market are, are kind of folks trying to you know, maybe uh, take some chips off the table uh, when we may be heading into a period of, of greater uncertainty and, and maybe mm -hmm. it rebounds pretty quickly or, or maybe, you know, these kind of concerns linger longer. Um, but it's 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 an interesting time. I mean, it's I, I'm always trying to kind of reassess my own views of, of where do I think the market is going and how real do I think you know inflation risk is and you know are there better kind of asset classes that, that we should be considering or, or just you know other stocks that uh, that we like that are better kind of insulations for macro in, um, uncertainty uh, that, than others and and I think there there probably are but um, I'm not convinced yeah. necessarily that the sky is falling yet. What's, yeah, your, what's yeah. your view on like the next, you know, 12, 24 months? Is this, does this all kind of pass and go away or, you know, to what extent? Yeah. I mean, I think I sort of expect, you know, occasional three to 5% pullbacks uh, as we continue to creep to new all time highs. Um, I sort of, that's sort of my expectation. So we could be just in the midst of one of these kind of mini pullbacks, uh, which, I'm not surprised, you know, maybe even 10% at some point. Um, but I don't think there's any kind of event that would cause, you know, a, a bear market suddenly. Um, you know, we could all be wrong. I mean, sometimes bear markets just happen out of the blue after a long bull market. And we've certainly had a relatively long bull market minus the COVID crash, you know. So, yeah. um, but but the rates are so, you know, interest rates are so low. You know, there's a lot of money out there flooding the markets. People are looking for places to put their money, whether it's cryptocurrencies, stocks, NFTs, you know, real estate. So I, I don't see, you know, I see this as a buying opportunity. Like when the, when the markets, you know, I wish we had more capital available in our fund to dry powder to start deploying today. Uh, because this, you know, especially if the stock, you know, market continues to get crashed, you know, crash tomorrow or the next day, you know, another few percent. It seems like a good time to get back in or, or get in if you've been on the sidelines. Um, you know, I, I, you know, we'll see. Well, you know, we've talked about selling puts and stuff, and maybe we'll sell some puts if it goes down further or something on certain things. Uh, so, yeah, it's. Um, I just think the next twelve or twenty-four months, I, I have a hard time seeing like a major market crash. I just, I just, I don't know what would cause that. What you know, people have so much money out on the side. There's no. Nothing to, unless there's something, some unexpected black swan event that occurs. I just don't, I don't see it, but who knows? Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, the, the macro economy is so difficult, you know, to explain or, or predict. It's very hard. It just, you know, um, we'll see. So I guess with, with the, the next things we we're going to talk about is Roblox Investor Day a little bit. And then we we're going to talk about a lot about Tesla, like the split rumors. And then we we're going to go over the probability lab and do like a screen share. So if anyone's you know listening on Twitter spaces, when we get to the probability interactive brokers, probability lab part, we'll be talking about options that we're showing on the screen of the YouTube live chat. And this is recorded on our YouTube channel, so you can watch it later, too. But first, like Roblox, you know, that stock has been on a tear. We've talked <laughs> about it for a long time. We love it. We feel a little vindicated that we finally, finally uh, you know, broke out and, um it was up to like the 130s. I mean, it's come back down in this correction to now 117 as I'm, we're talking down, you know, 2.5% today, along with all the growth stocks. I mean, that investor day really just pumped me up. I listened to it. It was like four hours long, but I listened to it over a few days and at like one and a half speed, but it was really, really pumped me up. What, what do you think, Matt? Would you, did you listen to it? Yeah, yeah. I uh, did the same thing. I mean, it was it was long, like you said, so I had to kind of break it out into, into chunks, like you said. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, I mean, first, I mean, first of all, first of all, just like the Q3 report, like we talked about, was just like phenomenal. So that kind of started the, this this run. Um, I think it actually touched 140 yesterday or, or a couple days ago. Um, so you know, more than doubled since the the IPO price. Um, but yeah, so listening to the the investor day, I mean, it was it was pretty amazing that they kind of went methodically through like all different aspects of. Um, Kind of the, their strategy but it was the thing i really liked about it it, it wasn't like um an mba pulled together like uh what should we tell the investors sort of, sort of presentation it was really uh heavily focused on on the experience for the users uh but mm -hmm. also i would say equally focused on on the experience for the developers um mm. so they're they're really um trying to make sure that it's it's a like sustainable in the long term uh, platform um, and, and they they mentioned kind of what we, what we talk about a lot, which is that it's like this flywheel where you've got you know developers attracted to all of the, the users that are on the platform, and and they're when they when they're trying to um, kind of optimize the the things that they're doing um, for for user engagement, they're not optimizing for revenue generation the way Facebook is and, and a lot of others are, they're they're optimizing for like user engagement on the, the platform. So they, they want to make sure that users are coming back time and again to have a good experience. And they think if they do that successfully, um, you know, they'll, they'll, the monetization options will come. But they said something, to, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but they said something like, we're not going to try to like squeeze all the, the blood out of like a 10 or squeeze all the cash out of a 10 year old. Like that's not yeah. like the corporate goal. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, that was, there were a couple other things I want to kind of dive into later on, but like the, 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 broad brushstrokes of the way they, they went about the presentation i thought were, were pretty um attractive and, and made me more bullish but what stuck out for you yeah what stuck out for me is what they call i think they call it the roblox operating system they kind of call that internally like for their company culture and that's something i wasn't fully aware of or i kind of had inklings of from listening to all kinds of interviews dave bazuki does this weekly podcast or bi-weekly podcast which is really interesting called tech talks so if you Google or look in your Apple podcast, Tech Talks, you can see the Roblox, you know, he interviews someone from like chief developer or chief engineering officer or chief software person once every week or every couple of weeks and just talks about what they're doing at Roblox and what the future is going to hold and such. So I've listened to a lot of those and I've got just inklings of that kind of culture from listening to that and how he talks to the people and 
you know, this Roblox operating system kind of company culture really stuck out to me as like, that's, that's a key ingredient right there. Like everyone in that company is working towards the same, you know, forward looking future. They're not sort of like a Tesla. Everyone's looking towards, you know, like they're very aggressive about making sure that people are aligned with uh, sustainable, you know, advancing electric vehicle transport, you know, not trying to like just advance their personal careers or whatever, you know? And so I think at Roblox, similarly, the company culture, everyone, they're, everyone's very aligned with their, their goal of, uh, you know, kind of creating the metaverse. I mean, they've been talking about the metaverse long before, you know, uh, like all metaverse stocks are like taken off, but like, like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Roblox has been doing this forever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, um, the, the the way they you know they they did some you know I've listened to a lot of interviews and, and one of the the chief uh, officers was on the uh, we had Matthew Cantabom on our podcast interview recently and he has this open the metaverse you know uh, w- w- podcast he does that he just interviewed like the chief um, some officer at Roblox and it came out like yesterday and they were, I was listening to that too but the way that Roblox company culture sort of defined like at Roblox, the way they define what the metaverse sort of is, is that it's just like a immersive social experience, you know, like where you can get on with your friends and kind of some immersion, you know, and in, in, in technology and, and enjoy it, you know, and, and have a good experience. And they're really building that future um, for a long time now. And, and everyone at that company is not focused on maximizing the profit per kid that they're you know, the subscriber per user, like you said, like they're really just trying to inc- like increase engagement, you know, like they changed their whole incentive model for developers to focus around engagement versus just yeah. buying in-app things, you know, and that's, that's been a huge, it's turned out to be one of the best decisions they ever made. I think, uh, you know, it seems like in retrospect. So another thing, example of that, they're really, they mentioned on the investor day education, some of these education things they're doing initiatives. They have like this new foundation to kind of help spur innovation and educational in in education systems or education organizations with things, but they're also trying to get, you know, they're trying to get their, they think that their programming language uh, LUA or whatever, they think that's going to be like a cornerstone programming language. And I, I believe it's very likely to be so in a few years if they really get into a lot of, you know, uh, public school or private school organizations, you know, not just part of like an after school. They don't want to be part of like an after school club. They want to be like ingrained in the education systems. And so mm-hmm. I think their programming coding technology could become like a mainstream coding technology. Everyone every kid's learning how to use and becomes like a big thing. So they're really just trying to play the long game of staying, you know, more than relevant, but becoming like a huge part of the metaverse that, you know, is coming and, or web 3.0, whatever you want to call it. And then the brand building, you know, I was really impressed, you know, the, you know, the, the branding, um, they have lots of companies that are coming to them trying to get involved on the Roblox platform now. Like Nike just launched something. They had Vans World recently. They had uh, Chipotle recently come up with something, right? I mean, what, you, I know you're Gucci excited about the and, brands. And the too. Heights and, and yeah. 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 So like this is one of the things um, where like financial analysis 
doesn't really do justice to to a potential opportunity. So, uh, I mean, I don't think we've talked about this uh, publicly in the past, but you know, we were trying to do like evaluation of Roblox recently, and I was just kind of having a hard time making the financial model kind of make sense um, with kind of where we thought this was going. And that's because you've got this kind of core business that they have right now that you can make certain assumptions on, like how fast it grows and how monetization happens and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and it's just hard to kind of see significant upside on the stock if, if you're just kind of extrapolating that existing business forward. But the, the thing that was really clicking with me when I when I listened to Investor Day is, is when they talked about kind of, you know, we, we talk about optionality within businesses, not, not only just kind of buying options on the market, but when a business itself has optionality like, like Tesla has with autonomy. I think I think Roblox really has that with with three um, opportunities they're pursuing. One was that brands um, uh, thing that they're talking about, where brands are actually developing on the, on the platform right now, um, and yeah. I, that's going to be a, a way to drive engagement. Um, another you mentioned was was education, and then the other one was you know music, and, and they've already had I think really impressive statistics um, when they've just started dipping their their toe into all three of those buckets recently. Um, and so thinking about how, like extrapolating for, forward, you know, they were, they were talking about every brand, like having an in-house kind of Roblox development team. I like that might sound crazy to yeah. people right now, but to, to me, I think that's going to be the way that it, it, it develops. Um, yeah. I mean, just like, like you've got social media for like every fortune 500 company now has social media teams and it's just good. I think it's yeah. going to be just a continuation. Everyone has a that. Twitter handle. They have to add, yeah. you know, and, and Twitter and Instagram, you know, they don't have to support Nike to get Nike on Instagram, you know, same thing. Roblox is building their platform in a way where they won't have to necessarily like support Nike to create their own platform within the Roblox. You know, they're building out the platform so that it's self-service, you know, self-sustaining, self-supporting, like so that, you know, whether it's Reebok or Under Armour coming on the Roblox platform, they build their own ecosystem using the Roblox tools. They don't, Roblox doesn't have to really even formally engage with them in any way, you know, yeah. they're just like another developer. And so yeah. I think we're going to see, you know, job postings, not just for, you know, social media managers, but you'll have like, who's going to be the Roblox manager for, you know, um, McDonald's here, you know, who, who we need people out of college to be Roblox, you know, uh, development managers, you know, so you'll have like a whole new kind of ecosystem of brands um, development going on to into Roblox, and it'll just help fulfill the <laughs> the 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 self fulfilling prophecy of Roblox becoming the metaverse, you know, like faster yeah. than anyone else. You know, like you have all these other things, whether it's like decentralized versions of a sandbox or whatever. They're all like startups, you know. It's so so chaotic, you know. Roblox is like the clear first mover advantage, and to me, it just seems highly likely that that's just going to continue to accelerate that clear first mover advantage for Roblox. You know, it's just going to become a bigger first mover advantage and maybe it evolves into like a trillion dollar company down the road. You know, it, it's not unreasonable in my mind to think about that, think about it that way. Yeah, there were so many um, things that kind of came up during that four hour presentation that I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about this as an opportunity. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, yeah. one off the, the cuff, um, somebody just asked, like, how do you think about like NFTs in the Roblox metaverse? That was just like an analyst question. And they, they were talking, one of the big focuses they had is it's um, kind of some improvements to the avatars that they're, they're really working on um, and how those are going to become a lot more customizable over time um, and how they really haven't done very much to kind of optimize uh, how they're um, monetizing those. Um, and so, but I, and I found it really interesting because if you think about how successful NFTs have been, you know, people are, you know, 
using those as kind of like a way to express themselves digitally already, uh, but it's kind of is very limited if you think about it. Um, and so uh, I think it was it was Dave who who had this response. He said, you know, we're going to have a lot of things that are, you know, I would say comparable to NFTs, you know, whether like you can buy art, you can buy furniture, you can buy like, you know, clothing, obviously, you can buy a pet for your avatar. Uh, and not only will you be able to like just have it in a wallet, but you'll actually be able to interact with these digital objects in a way that's not true of NFTs. And so there will be, they, they mentioned a lot kind of like Roblox as an economy, not as like monetization, you know, channels or anything like that. So, you know, they were saying there's going to be people who are, you know, developing and selling these. There's going to be people who are collecting them and then there's and selling them. There's going to be people who just, you know, buy them to, to use them, but it's all going to be part yeah. of that like digital expression. So that was another just like one example of a way that I think they're going to be able to take advantage of this huge trend that I think we're just at the, at the beginning of and probably provide a better use case than um, nfts which is already like we're seeing how big that market is already so I, it makes yeah. me more and more bullish yeah and i'm i'm very you know we're drinking a lot of the roblox kool-aid lately but it <laughs> feels it feels good and uh it just it feels right uh in a lot of ways so you know we're excited for you know it seems like metaverse is a big topic it's very hyped right now and there's a hype cycle it goes up and down but you know, as more companies are asked about the metaverse or want to talk about the metaverse or want to get involved in the metaverse, I mean, Roblox is a clear, pure play in that respect. You can't invest directly in Minecraft, for example. You have to invest in all of Microsoft, you know, like you can't invest directly in Epic Games. It's privately traded, you know, like, you know, so Oculus, as a public Oculus, yeah. same thing. And, and Oculus is more of a device company in my mind. You know, they have yeah. cool software. It's not really Facebook's going to put like 10 billion a year towards, you know, the, developing what they call the metaverse. But yeah, I think Dave Bazuki was even asked about that on the Q&A portion of Investor Day. And I like his answer. Like, you know, he didn't down, you know, he, he was being set up for like a, a softball to like crush Facebook, but he didn't downplay yeah. them. Instead, he just talked about like what they're doing and what they've developed and how they value their ecosystem. And it's very hard to recreate, you know, like sort of like you can't throw money at building a whole new EV that's going to beat Tesla. You know, like you can't just throw a whole <laughs> bunch of money and do it. You know, like I feel like well, Facebook's like the old legacy automaker trying to build you know beat tesla at its own game but you yeah. know tesla's got inherent advantages and in its foundation it. exactly what the 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 parallel i thought of because like you see like gm and ford and, and all these companies um are saying we're gonna we're investing you know 25 billion dollars a year <laughs> yeah. like all yeah. these things and i'm like it's not the money like yeah. it's like like the money of course you like it takes some amount but like the yeah like the physics should be driving. Like you should, as an investor, you should want them to spend as little money as possible in order to yeah. achieve like a competitive EV. Um, yeah. And I, did, did you listen to that Alex Potter interview with uh, with Rob Maurer recently? I did uh, listen to it. That was good. Yeah. He had one a comment in there that that really you know um, kind of kind of stuck with me. Uh, he he was like talking about oh gosh I lost my train of thought a little bit. Um, he he was talking some something to the effect of. Um, like you've got all these companies um, out there that are like like throwing cash at at these problem at these um, problems, but um, like they're they're trying to, they've got like different programs. They they're trying to launch like twenty different electric vehicles, um, and they've got like different teams dedicated to each one of them. And Tesla just has like four SKUs, and, and they're yeah. they're going to sell more cars than these like twenty programs combined, which are going to have much higher O and M probably lower gross yeah. margins too. And so like, how are they going to compete? 
um, when they're spread so thin. So like, I, I think framing anything at like, like Facebook kind of did as like a money problem yeah. is, is just the wrong approach. Yeah, I, I uh, lost you for a quick second there. But anyway, uh, this is my I had a phone call. Sorry, but um, sorry. I had to delete it. Uh, sorry. So uh, yeah, framing anything. I mean, I think what you're saying is that you can't just throw a bunch of cash, uh, you know, at something to, to out out compete Tesla or Roblox, you know, like cash is not the answer. Like you can have a trillion dollars, like the US government throws hundreds of billions of dollars trying to build rockets and SpaceX or Rocket Lab or now Astra, they're doing it for like a fraction of the cost, you know, so yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, let's move on to Tesla. I mean, um, you know, we got to talk about the split rumors. What are your thoughts on the on the split room? I mean, there's lots of rumors about this split 12 nine. And I mean, maybe it's just a date where they're <laughs> launching like the Cybertruck deliveries or something. I saw some someone post something about Cybertruck deliveries coming uh, soon on Twitter. Someone got like a me message from their sales rep, but that who knows if that's, you know, that could just be a mistake or whatever. But do you think do you think this December 9th is any date to be like you think there's some kind of communication from Elon about December 9th or, or and if there is, is it split related or something or just in general, like some announcement or some surprise? What do you think? I think it could be. I, mean, I might be getting a, a bit of a reputation as, as a, like a negative Nancy or a Debbie Downer because I had another tweet I think <laughs> over the weekend like yeah. saying like, but that um, picture Elon's uh, tweeted of like, you know, it was a simpler time of like that Viking raid on Iona and in, in like 1209. Um, like I just did some research because like, well, let's just like make sure that like that's actually relating to, to you know, 1209. Um, yeah. And some pretty basic, you know, research kind of led me to believe that that was actually like almost certainly a Viking raid in like 806 or 802. Um, yeah. And I won't go into all the details why there, but. Um, the, the point is like people, it's very easy to kind of come up with, uh, if you're looking for a link to something in your mind, like it, it you can come up with a variety of ways to, to kind of get there. So like, mm -hmm. I think, I think it's possible like Elon's, um, tweet about, you know, 12 million pounds of thrust at liftoff. And, um, I forget who it was that posted a really detailed thread on, on some of the other kind of connections there but that, that I found reasonably compelling. So I think if they, you know, it, I, I don't know if, if putting a probability on it, but it seems like maybe a 50, 50 chance that something happens. Um, mm. But I don't, I don't know where the split came. Like, like I was trying to yeah. make sense of that. And, and to me, like Elon has no problem throwing cold water on Tesla stock and is not super interested in it. Um, and on the flip side, he seems like way more interested in like um, developments at, you know, gigafactories and like some cool new engineering thing that it'll yeah. take Wall Street two years to really like figure out and, and you know, like, work into their their valuations. So I yeah. don't know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if something happens, but I, I'm also not, you know, dead set that for sure it's going to happen. And now I'm convinced. But what, what's your thought? Yeah, I'm not I'm uncertain. Uh, the probability I'm very uncertain about the probability and we'll go over the probability lab in a minute here, <laughs> uh, interactive brokers. Um, and, and we can look at some examples, I guess. But yeah, I'm very uncertain uh, about whether there's a split going on around. I mean, I could see it both ways. I could see him doing some secret communication that there is a split. I mean, I think there will be a split sooner or later. It's just a matter of when, right? It's going to be, is it going to be December 9th or is it going to be in three months or six months or a year? You know, there will be another split, um, probably be multiple, multiple splits over the next decade, you know, I don't know. But uh, 
it seems like we're ripe soon for one, you know, whether Tesla's at a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars a share, you know, it seems like a good time to do a split considering he did it last time when it was close approaching a thousand dollars a share. So Yeah, I, I definitely just, agree with that. And you know, one of the things that, that Gary Black mentioned, which which kind of makes sense to me, is um he, he he noted how Elon has stopped selling shares, at least you know, there hasn't been a form four filed in a while, so we know he did he didn't sell toward the, the end of last week. Um, yes. So the um, the like reasoning, one potential reasoning would, would be that he's in possession of material non-public information. Yeah. Um, yes. So like that could that increases the, the probability by from like, I agree. you know ten percent to like twenty five percent maybe or something if you had it. You know, it just seems like it's a signal there. Yeah. I agree because like the, the way that Elon has handled anything with a stock in the past, it's sort of been like, make the decision, go, it's done, like, you know, capital raises and, you know, stock splits and yeah. that sort of thing. But in the past, they've been very quick. And so I, to me, it seems unlikely that he'd want to drag out selling these these shares for like months at a time. Um, so I, I yeah. do think that that did kind of sway my opinion a little bit that that maybe something could be coming up here pretty pretty soon. Yeah, I agree. And it's, I don't know if it's connected at all, hopefully not in a bad way, but they just hired some like SEC lawyer. Yeah, so I didn't read the analysis, but it's probably just standard hiring a new lawyer and the media is making a, a big thing about it's LinkedIn that he used to work at the SEC or something. But, you know, it, there was some new uh, hire to their law team, to their legal team from uh, for general counsel or something like that. So. Hopefully it's not connected in a bad way to Elon being afraid of like selling stock with material information in hand at the you know wrong time and such. Yeah, well, he did um, have that, that share plan in place. So I think, you know, there's um, some leeway there that like he could have he like is because cause that plan, that selling plan was in place before um, he would have been potentially in uh, yeah. possession of mnpi that 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 might be a a way that he could sell so i i don't know i mean i think we'll I, i'm curious to see honestly like i think it's just gonna be fun to like like come to december 9th and see like like was this actually something or was it just like <laughs> tesla twitter going nuts again either yeah. way i'll be happy honestly <laughs> i know and i wouldn't be surprised if there is a split announced and the stock drops 100 bucks you know or if there is no split yeah, announced yeah. and the stock goes up 100 bucks i wouldn't be surprised either way i mean there's <laughs> going to be some volatility around that date like i think that's almost certain i just don't know what direction and i'm can't say for sure what you know there's just a lot of speculation the options in tesla is incredible like there's so much options activity in tesla it just makes the stock very volatile now these days and the market makers probably just you know, they either make a ton of money or they're freaking stressed out like crazy about trying to hedge their positions constantly. I can't tell. Some weeks they probably are like, yeah, we're making a lot of money, you know, selling, you know, implied vol. And then other weeks they're probably like, oh, crap, gamma squeeze, cover, cover, you know. So, yeah, like 90 percent of the time they're probably making bank. But then every once in a while they're like, <laughs> you know, five, 10 X losses on some of these, these positions yeah. that they sell. So it's yeah, but that's the way options work. I mean. You know, whether if you're selling, yeah. you're going to make a little bit of money most of the time. And if you're buying, you're going to lose a little bit most of the time. But yeah, you know, every once in a while, you'll have these these kind of amplified returns. So it's, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. So let's go into the options uh, probably. But maybe we can look at December, the first expiry or so after. I think December 17th, we're going to look at um, expiry on probability lab. If you're able to share your screen with kind of a test. Yes. And I'm going to maximize my screen so I can. I can see it too. Uh, so is that coming up? Can you see my screen now? 
Yeah, I can see it. Okay. I can. Yeah, and, and anyone listening on uh, on Twitter Spaces, Emmett said this earlier, but for anyone who joined later, um, if you want to follow along, um, seeing what we're we're showing on this probability lab through interactive brokers, uh, hop over to the, the YouTube stream because you'll be able to see it there. Yeah, and it'll be recorded as well, so people can watch it after the fact. Um, the thing about the probability lab, you know, most of interactive brokers is the user experience is not ideal a lot of times, and so. So the probability lab is an incredible tool in informational wise, but like this, the fonts are tiny. I mean, there's no way for me to maximize the font to see that the key thing we look at, yeah, let me get my glasses on actually. Here, yeah. <laughs> the key thing we look at here that most people can't see is the numbers in red at the bottom, which shows the probability percentages at different strike prices for December 17th. Cause you pull up December 17th as a calendar yeah. day, you can see the big curve there. And so December 17th is like the first, I guess you go to December 10th, like the day after, but we like to just, if we're going to do something in options, we'll go to like December, you know, there's December 10th there. But maybe let's go to December 17th because if we, you know, if we were going to do something with options related, we'd like to do it December 17th just because uh, it gives an extra few days for the stock to kind of play out whatever news may or may not happen on December 9th. Um, and so, because yeah, I think the split last time around, it was, it popped right away, but it, it continued to rally thereafter. So a lot yeah. of times, you know, it's better to play a longer duration option, but um, yeah. Yeah. So if you look at like, where's the 50% mark in the red font at the bottom, it's, like it's like strike price? somewhere around 1085, it looks like uh, okay. maybe it's like 1090 somewhere in there. It's hard to tell exactly, but it looks like it's kind of okay. right around here. So it's about where the stock is trading right now. The stock is at 1,094. So the market's saying like 50-50, whether it's going to be above 1,085 or below 1,085 come December 17th. And so like the way Matt and I use the probability lab for informing what options bets we may or may not take is we might say, okay, before we even look at this, sort of like what we talked about with Chris List on betting odds, you know, um, on our interview that was released over the weekend, like before we look at the NFL team matchups for the weekend and what the Vegas odd makers, this is like the Vegas odd makers version of sports betting. So this is, you know, there, this is what the options market prices currently are pricing as probabilities mathematically. Um, and so we might look at it and be like, okay, we think there's a 25% chance that Tesla is going to hit $1,500 on a split, you know, news um, within a few days of the split announcement. So if we think there's a 25% chance we go to here and say, okay, what's what's fifteen hundred dollars saying as a percentage chance there? What does it say, Matt? Can you read it out loud? It's hard it, it's to see. It's about ninety-seven percent. Wow. So, <laughs> so, so, Tesla, so there's, there's like a three percent chance, roughly, according to the market, that Tesla will be at fifteen hundred or higher on December seventeenth. Yeah. And the option pricing at that uh, the option that option is priced at six eighty-five by seven ten. That's the bid offer. So seven dollars per contract is what it costs for a fifteen hundred dollar call strike um, for December 17th. So if we thought legitimately there's a 25% chance that there was going to be a split in 25, uh, you know, there was going to be a split and the Tesla was going to rally. That's the thing that I'm not sure about. Like, I think maybe there's, let's say there is a 25% chance of a split in our minds. I'm not sure that automatically coincides with Tesla rallying 25% right in the days following like it did last time. You know, history doesn't repeat itself always. It rhymes sometimes, but it doesn't repeat itself always. So, I'm not, you know, I would say, you know, maybe it's like somewhere between a three and 10% chance or something like that. I don't know. So it's sort of in our mind's eye, like, hey, it seems to be, you know, priced decently um, or not priced well. And if you want to try to take advantage of it in our mind, but we're already so heavily invested in Tesla and we're, 
we're, you know, biased towards Tesla always. We know we are, but it seems like, you know, the interesting analysis to do December 17th, you know, according to this probability options, probably what about like the 1250 strike? What, what does that show about for probability wise here? Let's see. So it's like around 80%, probably 79% or something like that. Okay. So the options, um, are pricing in about an 80% chance that Tesla is going to be below 1250 or only 20% chance that Tesla will go above 1250 come December 17th. That's another way, another thing to look at potentially. So you can look at this in various ways, but 3% chance of it being above $1,500 in like two or three weeks. You know, if there's a major news announcement, December 9th, you know, you can kind of figure out, do you think that's right or not? So is the options market pricing in a major news announcement December 19th, December 9th or not? It doesn't seem like it quite is to me. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I don't think so either, but you got to kind of, you know, look at the, uh, at the, at the payout. So like the, yeah. the 1500, for example, what did you say? That was, that was priced $7, at? $7. $7. So like, you have to get obviously like at expiration, you have to be at 1507 or better. But well, look at the fourteen hundred. So, like a, so fifteen hundred. If you buy the fourteen hundred, that costs like a twelve dollars. So $12. you buy the fourteen hundred strike fourteen dollars. If it gets up to fifteen hundred dollars, that means you made like an eight x return on that. You know? Yeah. So, so that one to me seems a little bit more reasonable because to make any money on the fifteen hundred, you know, strike, you basically have to get to like sixteen hundred in my mind to make up for the the amount of risk that you you've taken. Because it, it, like yeah. I think there's probably a ninety percent plus probability that that option, if you bought the 1500, uh, is, is going to end up worthless. Um, yeah. Cause even and these percentages happens, we're throwing out, this is just our own like gut feelings. Yeah. Just, yeah we don't have any like spreadsheet. Advice. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's, right. This is our gut feelings of watching the stock for so many years closely. Yeah. yeah. So like to me that, you know, that, that risk reward is not super apparent, but on the, the like the 1400 strike, then yeah, it seems like there's, there's at least more of a, there's a certainly there's certainly a higher probability that you could have like a multi bag bagger kind of return because uh, if mm -hmm. it does get to 1500 like again maybe it's only a five percent chance um, so then you've got a five percent chance that those options that you bought are worth a hundred dollars per per contract essentially um, yeah so I guess that's only a five dollar in that case there's that's a, an expected value of five which is slightly lower than the the value there, but you know, could also yeah. rally to 1600. So you'd have to do like a, yeah. Um, you know, what's your, what's your percentage probability that it gets to each of the potential kind of like above the strike or yeah, above the yeah. strike prices. Um, yeah. And these are weird trades because you know that most likely they're going to expire worthless and be losing trades. Like, you yeah. know, five out of six times or higher, you're probably going to lose all your money on this type of trade. And we realize that when we do them, but, you know, the one out of five or one out of 10 times it hits, you make a big return potentially. So, yeah, that, it's a weird type of mindset to have on these types of trades. It's 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 different. Yeah. Yeah. But let's go into the February. Let's look at the February 2022 timeline here. So we're going to look at the February 22 and the January 2023. So a year out. So February 22 timeline. If we look at the same, like look at the 1500 strike for February 22. So this is after Q4's monster, you know, we think it'll be a monster delivery number. Maybe it's incredible gross margins again, surprise. What's kind of like, what is it saying for the percentage for a 1500 strike? Um, you know, um, it's, it's around 88% or so. So 
the market is pricing, the options market is pricing only a 12% chance. Instead of like a 3% chance, like on the December 17th, yeah. it's pricing a 12% chance that Tesla will be above $1,500 come February 18th. Um, and so that options right now, I'm looking at my option chains is $40. So you can buy that option for about $40, $41. You could buy it for that sounds expensive, right? But you have to think about the percentages here. I think it's a different way to look at it versus trying to price in your head. $41 is that's expensive, but 12% chance is a much higher percentage than 3%, obviously. But $41, the stock would have to get to, you know, for that to be a 10x return, you know, 12%, you know, goes into 108 times. So that, that'd be like an 8x return. Let's say it would have to be, you know, you'd think the stock needs to get, you know, eight times $41, eight times $40, 320. So you need the stock to get to like 1820, you know, uh, as your kind of medium expectation with a 12% chance almost, you know, like to, to, mm -hmm. to, for that to be worth it. And to me, that seems reasonable. It's not as, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's just one way to think about it. You got to put these numbers together and think about it. Okay. Is it re like, do I think the stock's gonna get to $2,000 like unequivocally? Like, is that probable in my mind? You know, maybe some people are super bullish and think, oh, Tesla, as long as the macro market cooperates, I think Tesla's getting to 2000, no problem by February after their earnings report. And if you think that's the case, maybe it's worth it to do this type of option trade, you know, or, or you know, maybe it's not, you know, so there's just different ways to look at it, different probabilities. I hope this helps people. And let's go to January 2023. Um, we, these are just all hypothetical scenarios. It's not stuff we're doing per se, but this is just hypothetical ways to look at the using the options probability lab. So if you look at, if you're looking at this January 2023 expiry, so it's like a year out options that are one year out. If you bought bought them now and you're in the U.S., you could sell them like before they expire for the capital gains treatment versus income treatment, which is, that's advantageous. So I, that's why I look like looking at these options that are like just over a year out, especially because if you do really well, you can get a much better tax treatment if you're in the U S and you sell them just over a year long. So what's like, uh, I don't know, 2000, what do you see for the 2000 for that one, Matt, for, um, about a 92% cumulative probability. So 8% chance it's above 2000. Only 8%. Okay, so the market's pricing only an eight percent chance. This this option because of the time value is one hundred and twelve dollars. I guess wow, one hundred and twelve dollars is the last price I'm seeing. Um, and eight uh, percent is that what you said? Eight percent. Yeah. So that would have to go in twelve. You'd have to get to like you know to make it worth it. The stock has to get to like three thousand plus. Like if you if you think that eight percent is accurate, if that's what you think, you know. But if you think it's a fifty percent chance, it's above two thousand. Then you could do the calculation yourself. One hundred twelve dollars. Oh, it just needs to go up to you know twenty five twenty three hundred dollars to make more than my fifty percent expected probability. You know, so mm -hmm. you have to kind of do the math yourself. The best thing to do is come up with the probability in your head first. If you've been watching Tesla carefully and you think you have an idea or sense of where you think the price could get to by a certain time and you want to employ us um, then for call options to try to see if you can magnify your return, you know, the way we have occasionally, then you kind of set your own probabilities in mind. And then you look at this probability lab to see where the options are pricing it. And if your own probability is much more positive, you know, in a significant way than what the probability lab is suggesting, then it may be worth, may be worth it to buy some of those options, you know, obviously, but you could be wrong more often than you're right. But when you're right, if you're right by a substantial amount, it can offset all the wrongs. And if you just keep 
getting it wrong time and time again, then it's probably not the type of bet investing or betting you should be doing, you know, so I'm constantly evaluating my own ability to estimate the probabilities. And, you know, if I'm wrong a bunch of times in a row, I have to try to recalibrate my biases or expectations. And a lot of times the macro markets control, you have to also account into this, the macro markets, because Tesla, whether you like it or not, you know, it's kind of floating in the tide of the macro markets to a large degree. So, you know, as bullish as the market has been, if there's a bear market, all these call options are pretty much out the window. <laughs> so you got to like, yeah. think about like, okay, what are the chances of a macro market bear market in this time frame? So the longer out the options go, the higher the chance there's going to be some major crash or bear market um, correction going on that's going to drag everything down significantly, right? So you got to also weigh that in your mind when you're making these decisions. Um, I don't know, Matt, you have anything else you want to add about this stuff or? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's risky to use options. And so, you know, I, I would never advise anybody to, to use them. But I think if you are inclined, um, just try to hold yourself accountable, like we've been talking about here, you know, assess your own kind of view of the probability, um, you know, kind of check your performance over time. I mean, if, if you're starting out, uh, don't do it with a big percentage of your portfolio. Um, and, and just, you know, kind of, um, when when Emmett and I are using this as a tool for the the portfolio that we manage, uh, honestly, in looking through these uh, these couple examples that we looked at, no, nothing kind of jumps off the page of like the oh, the market's got this way wrong. You know, there's a there's a huge discrepancy between what I think is going to happen and what the market is kind of pricing. Um, so a, a lot of times, the best thing you can do is just be patient and kind of wait for those opportunities. Um, yeah. I mean, just just for example, like if on say December eighth, if there's still kind of no movement in in prices, and and you know like the, the options prices by that time are a fraction of what they are right now, then it may be worthwhile to kind of take a flyer on it if the market's essentially pricing in like a, a minuscule probability that there's like a hundred hundred dollar move in the stock in the next you know day or the next week. 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 Yeah. yeah. So, and so when he says take a we, flyer, he means like put like one percent of your portfolio of your, yeah. of your play money in it, right? Not like play, not even like 10 something percent or twenty percent. Yeah, something tiny. Like willing to lose everything, um, it, it, but but really, the I think whether you're looking at a short term kind of you know like like a flyer like that, where you're kind of playing something event driven, or in the past where I, I really have seen these these forward curves look like drastically mispriced in the past. Uh, I mean, this is where Emmett's put idea kind of came from, right? Was, you know, we, we've looked yeah. at calls, but looking at puts, you can come up with the same sort of uh, scenario. And and so I think that the right thing to do is to, you know, look at the way that the market is, is pricing certain scenarios uh, and, and maybe try to play those. So like, uh, for example, we, we, we've talked mostly about stuff that's kind of out of the money. Um, but on the other side of the, the portfolio or on the, of the distribution here, you know, the market's essentially saying there's a 25% chance that Tesla stock's going to be below $550 per share uh, by January of 2023. So maybe with a very small portion of your of your capital, you could say, all right, maybe I want to sell some calls on that. Or, you know, you could look at puts and you sell and, some puts. You mean? Puts. You, well, sell puts. Uh, yes, yes. Sell calls, sell what you're saying? Yeah, well, yeah, you, yeah. You, um, you buy calls, I guess. I mean, I, I should have said buy calls because you can kind of like get some some leverage. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. you probably if you're going to use this probability lab on, on that, you probably want to look at the puts, not the not the calls. Yeah, I mean, the calls for the 550 strike January 23, they're trading at like 600 and or no, the last trade. That's the last trade from yesterday. So right now they're like 590. So, yeah, it's not you're not getting I mean, you get a little leverage. You might as well just buy the stock on margin or something. But 
But it's, for, it's very comparable to buying stock on margin. Yeah. So I mean, that's another way yeah. you can kind of if you do if you don't want to go on margin, but you do want a little bit more risk, that's one way you could kind yeah. of um, amplify that's your true. returns. But the puts the puts cost forty seven dollars for the January twenty twenty five fifty. I mean, to me, that's like in our mind, we think it's like a two percent chance it gets that low. I mean, they're really maybe at five percent or ten percent if there's a big bear market in the stock market. You know, then mm-hmm. you know that's the ten percent chance. You know, but other than, even if there is a big bear market in the stock market, we think Tesla would do so well that the stock would be above five hundred fifty billion market cap or whatever. You know, that's it would be crazy yeah, for it to well, be it, below it had- that. To actually lose, you'd have to get to closer to like five hundred, right? Because they're, they're priced yeah. at forty dollars. So yeah, they're priced at forty seven or higher, yeah. five hundred three or higher. Then yeah, so it seems like yeah, selling those puts is a, is a great deal. I mean, obviously, when you sell puts on something like that, then there's a certain amount of margin requirement that goes into holding those puts you're sold, selling, and so you have to keep a certain amount of capital handy to cover that margin requirement of selling that naked put. Um, but it seems like a great, you know, I guess. You can get a nice return if you do the math on the on the capital you commit to that. So that's sort of what we thought about when we sold the thousand dollar puts for you know in the beginning of the, earlier in this year. Um, yeah, good example, Matt. Yep. Um, yeah. So we'll just exit Matt's screen, and I guess we'll just go into some Q and A here. Maybe since we took up so much time, we'll go on an extra fifteen minutes in the Q and A if that's all right. Um, you know, usually we spend a little more time on Q&A than we, we have allocated right now. So, yeah, I guess uh, anyone has questions, put in the Twitter thread or the YouTube live chat. I think we have a bunch of questions queued up already and Alec will start um, showing them. So from Cheng Hong Lim, thank you for the amaz- this amazing sharing. Just curious, will your options trading strategy be the same for index options? Are there any particular differences between trading index options versus stock options? That's a great question. And I think uh, I used this probability lab as well before I um, I bought the uh, index puts for uh, the NASDAQ ETF QQQ last year before the COVID crash because I, you know, and you can use it for index ETF, you know, options very easily or any other stock. It doesn't have to be just Tesla. You can do this type of probability lab analysis for any stock or index that hasn't that has you know options on it so it's it's definitely a good tool the key is try to think of the probability in your head first that's for me what i'm doing is think of the probability in my head first and then i look at it and i say okay is my probability in my head very off from what's shown on the probability lab and if it is very off who's right is the market right or is my inclination is my instinct have some kind of advantage the market's not pricing in um, so that's, that's the difference. All right, let's go to the next question. From Justin, why do you think Elon has stopped selling and what do you think will be the Tesla price action after selling is complete? You want to take that one minute? Yeah. I mean, we already touched on it a little bit, uh, in our early conversation. I, I, as I've been thinking about it, I I'm starting to, to wait the, the likelihood of Elon having material non-public information more and more. Um, so to me, that seems like the most likely, um, scenario, maybe, maybe the board has agreed on a split or he's aware of kind of start of production at, at Berlin or Austin or something like that. Um, so that, that's, that's my best guess of, of, you know, why he stopped selling, um, in terms Mm -hmm. of the price action after his selling is complete. Um, it's, it's hard to say, but I would imagine, 
I mean, we, we did kind of see the, the stock kind of rebound last week when it seemed like the market kind of got over the, these initial concerns. Seems like macro's driving it down now. So um, yeah. it's, it's hard to say, you know, to, to what extent um, the stock would recover. I, I don't necessarily think it's going to bounce, you know, just on, on news that Elon's done selling because I think the market's already kind of um, given a, a decent amount of credit for him being, you know, relatively close to be, being done selling anyway. Uh, what, what are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think that the price action from Elon selling has already been put in place. And, you know, selling a, a million shares a day on certain days is not going to have a big impact going forward. Uh, I think initially it was a very psychological impact and lots of week longs kind of scared out people trying to front run and sell, selling a lot of speculators, options buyers stopped coming to the marketplace, you know, to keep the price supported. And, and so it's been very volatile, but I think that the price action from his selling is sort of going to be muted going forward. Um, unless he's, he's purposely selling like a ton of shares in one day and driving the price down, like with market sales or something. I don't think I doubt that would happen. I mean, as we're talking, the price is down. It's 80 bucks now. Wow. It's down to 1066. Wow. We could be getting back down to a thousand dollars a share again before we know it. If this uh, growth stock correction continues crazy. <laughs> Someone wow. tweeted that my, uh, my, my thread this morning on, on FSD beta drove the stock down. So <laughs> sorry. Uh, I wish I had that kind of power, but I don't think that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it just seems like all the growth stocks are really in a little bit of yeah. correction mode right now. All right. Next question here. How do you feel about Zoom earnings from Andrew Bazile? How do you feel about Zoom earnings and guidance? I'm not understanding the negativity given that they beat expectations. Maybe this could be a good time to add to a Zoom position. Yeah, I mean, I like Zoom, uh, the company, um, the product I like. We use it all the time. It's just, um, you know, are the bigger players, Microsoft, you know, with Teams, is that going to eat into Zoom's future lunch? You know, like Zoom was kind of anointed early on as like, a huge benefit of the COVID lockdowns and it sure was, you know, and now that the COVID lockdowns are over, is it going to continue to benefit, you know, the way Roblox has, you know, or is the COVID ending of the COVID lockdowns coinciding also with the uh, Microsoft teams catching on and whatever other players, you know, are trying are pretty much emulating exactly what zoom has been doing. Is there some kind of strategic advantage zoom has over the others I don't know the stock and the place well enough to, to decide or judge that, um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I like the founder of Zoom from what I know, uh, and I like um, their business. They seem like their fundamentals are, are, are growing into the stock price now as opposed to being a growth yeah. stock. They're almost more of a value stock coming into that territory soon. But long term, it's hard for me to project. Like, I don't know the space well enough to know if they're going to be a long term major player in this space. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, you know, I was on a, a, a an Ark Invest call. They've got these brainstorming calls. They were kind of talking about Zoom one of these times, and they said, you know, like Zoom is a better product, um, just kind of like bar none. Um, but they will use Teams when they're doing internal meetings, just because it's kind of like easier, just because like it's the default option when you're setting up a meeting in Outlook. Uh, yeah. which, you know, like clearly they're going to use Outlook and Microsoft Excel and PowerPoint, like all the things that all these corporations have. Um, so they're saying like when they have external facing meetings when, and they need, need the quality to be like super high, they use Zoom, but their default option for everything else is, is like Teams. So I, I thought that was a really kind of interesting and, and telling um, 
you know, just uh, a stance that like the best product does not always win um, when you've got like the distribution and, and the reach that that Microsoft has with the existing you know platform of, of software that they have. Um, I mean, I, I do like Zoom. One of the reasons I think we kind of um, got out of that that position earlier, though, is it was hard to see like the, the near term um, kind of huge upside, like like a five X opportunity in the next couple of years. Um, they've talked a lot about um, like some of the stuff that like in the longer term, like uh, I, I, they didn't call it a metaverse. I forget exactly what they were talking about, but um, like some some ways in, in the future where it can it can really kind of grow. And, and I think the technology is going to take a little bit longer to get to the, that kind of vision. Um, yeah. So it's, it's in my mind, a company worth keeping an eye on. And, and um, I do think their fundamentals have been really improving. So um, there, there may be some moment where like the, the combination of the fundamentals continuing to improve quarter after quarter um and some more of that kind of the tech developing to the point where there's you know like a 5x opportunity on the stock that may be um a good time to kind of add back in uh, maybe we're just a little traumatic though because we, we've been burned on zoom a couple times yeah we have yeah yeah uh from chris one question please what are your thoughts on spotify and daniel Eck? the stock has been underperforming the market greatly despite good q3 worm capital is heavily into the stock thanks yeah, I know we, we talked to Worm Capital um, uh, privately. We might maybe we'll have them on our our, our uh, podcast soon or our, our recorded interview soon to talk to them. They they are very bullish on Spotify. And um, yeah, I mean, Spotify, I've thought about it. I've, I'm not in the weeds enough to really have be a good judge on, you know, or have a strong opinion on, on Spotify. Um, the future, if it's going to like take over all of audio or not. I mean, I see some people love Spotify and they'll like put their podcast just on Spotify or I don't even listen to Joe Rogan anymore because he's just on Spotify, for example. I don't listen to, you know, a lot of things because they're just on Spotify. I don't use Spotify personally. I use it for music only, but trying to like navigate all the menus is too much. I'm used to just Apple podcasts. I have my habits for like certain, you know, I'll listen to podcasts that are on lots of different things, but not if it's exclusive to Spotify, I I just, it's not part of my, it's a lot of times not part of my universe. What do you think? It's a, it's a better platform actually. Um, I, like I've started listening to more and more stuff on Spotify lately. And, and honestly, Mm. like the user experience is just better than Apple podcasts. I mean, just one example, I was was trying to find like some random interview and I, like, I could only remember this guy's name who was interviewed. So I like typed in his name. And there was a list of like 20 interviews that this guy had done across all number of different podcasts. And I was like, whoa, like that's that's such a, a great feature where you can have like a, somebody appearing on a, on a podcast and he'll show up on anything that that person has ever done. So the search function is is better. Um, you know, I think they're, they're really trying to build on, on a platform. They're very anti-censorship, which which I think is going to be a strategic advantage in, in the long run. Um, so I, I don't know. I've, I've personally been uh, more bullish on Spotify lately. I just I think they're building the company yeah. in, in the right way. But yeah, we've got a lot more digging, I think, to, to do before we yeah. can turn the corner and say, yeah, we want to invest. I mean, they have a 45 billion market cap, you know, total addressable market probably is pretty large. Their 52 week high is 387 stock price, which is, you know, 50 or 50 or 60 percent higher than where it is now at 237 so i mean the 52 week low is 201 i don't know i mean it's just something to definitely keep on our radar are they going to be a multi-hundred billion dollar market cap company you know i don't know i mean that's that's where i'm it seems like a good company but are they going to be a 10x return 
that's hard for me to see, you know, in a convincing way. I have to study up on it a lot more, you know, to, to really believe that. I mean, I just don't know how commoditized that space can be. You know, you know, I'm sure they have some great AI or algorithms and sort of like the audio version of Netflix or something. Maybe that's yeah. the bull case, it seems like. But I just don't understand the space well enough to really opine strongly one way or the other, I would say. Something I need to study. We're, we're so bandwidth constricted right now. It's hard enough for us to be thoroughly investigating Roblox, Rocket Lab, Tesla, Lemonade and such, you know, so it'd be a whole nother thing to add. So let's go to the next question. From JB, do you ever create a custom probability and have IB to find the most profitable options, build the strategies for that scenario? Yeah, there's one thing on that probability. There's a few things, a lot on that probability lab we did not go over. There's a lot of functionality. And one of them is that it lets you build, you know, there, there, you can, you can have the you can customize the probabilities on that that chart we showed on the probability lab to what you think the probability should be and then there's a button at the right that says like build strategy and interactive brokers will suggest some option spreads and we're not fans of option spreads we like to keep things simple buy calls buy puts you know i'm not a fan of bull call spreads or iron condors or anything like that you know Obviously, the options brokers want you to do those spreads because the more contracts, the more commission they generate. You know, it's helpful to them to get people to do crazy options stuff. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people love that, you know, locking in. You know, I know they talk about it on like CNBC and all. You know, it's just not my cup of tea. I understand how that works. But that type of, um, you know, investing is a little more nuanced than what I like to use options for. Yeah. Yeah. Could, could you see my screen, by the way, just with some of the stuff I was showing here? I can't see your screen at the moment. No, I just see the questions oh, okay. from Alec. Okay. Oh, you're I showing thought I was doing here? a great sharing on there. I, I was just showing like the, <laughs> the probabilities that you can. That's all right. That's Sorry. okay. We'll show the next time. I think we're just, the questions are pulled up. So from Alex B, question, how would you estimate the risk of a big war in Eastern Europe, Ukraine or Russia for US, the U.S. stock market? I put 30, 40% probability of war in two to four months. Wow. And I'm from Ukraine. That's that's interesting. That's a good piece of info. So a lot of people talk about the Taiwan conflict in China, too. But it seems like this Eastern Europe, Russia buildup, troop buildup on the coast of Ukraine. You know, I've seen headlines about. I mean, what even happened to the stock market when Russia, invent, you know, uh, went into Crimea and stuff? I mean, did the market really flinch a whole lot there? I don't I don't know if it did. I mean, sure, it's I think it's terrible for, you know, Russia to kind of like just march in and take over these other provinces or territories and no one's stopping them. I don't think that's a good thing, but I'm not sure the market at large is going to make, you know, is going to correct or, or really gyrate significantly in the U.S. at least from from such a geo geopolitical uh, event. It could. This could be the time it does. Maybe the market's like ready to have some volatility put into it and just looking for a good excuse like this. But it's not a given. I mean, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I think as, as I never like to talk about these things that are so kind of human and, and tragic in terms of only the stock market. So take that with a grain of yeah. salt. Like this is clearly more of a human issue than a stock issue. Um, yeah. But I, I, I would say um, the the risks for um, kind of broader stock stock market issues are, I think, going to be worse to the extent there are um, kind of like foreign interventions, but um, kind of opposing the big names like Russia or China. So like if the United States, for example, um, seeks to defend Taiwan or comes to the aid of Ukraine. Um, and so then you got like a standoff between two superpowers. 
that's going to be a much worse situation. And I, I think there'd be like pretty massive skittishness in the markets if you got like actual, you know, U.S. and Russian um, um, troops firing on each other or U.S. and Chinese troops uh, firing on each other. So um, I think to the extent, um, you know, larger com countries are opposing each other, that's that's where I think the, the market jitters could, could really escalate. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think that's that's exactly right, man. I agree with that. Next question from Super. Let's just make this the last question since we're at ten forty-five almost. Uh, from Super Jambon thirty-one on Twitter. Do you think what Peru Saxena talks about in the video with David Lee has a good chance of happening? Um, I'm familiar with Peru. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing his name right. And I've, I've uh, seen some of his stuff in the past. I didn't listen to the Dave Lee uh, interview. I think it just came out yesterday. So I have to listen to that because um, he definitely has an interesting take. I know he's pretty well known and he makes a lot of kind of global macro market kind of predictions or analysis and you know, in the past, I feel like he's used technical analysis or, you know, hinted at technical analysis, which I'm not a huge fan of personally, for the most part. Um, you know, I like to look at charts just to see where the stock has been in the past. And if it's come down quite a bit, you know, maybe then it seems like a more likely good buying opportunity if I think it's a great stock. But that's about as far as I go with technical analysis. Um, but I don't know, Matt, what, did, you, did you listen to any of that interview or what are your thoughts on Peru and his thoughts, his view? Yeah, so I, I, I got... Um only half an hour or so into it. Um, so okay. uh, take anything I, I say with the, with a grain of salt, cause I, I, I may be not representing his, his views in their totality just based on, on what I saw. But um, yeah, similar to you, like, I, I think his concerns are, are legitimate. I mean, it's a lot of the same questions I'm asking myself. I think a lot of, you know, uh, investors are thinking about right now um, is, you know, how um, significantly should we be thinking about inflation and is there like a, uh, a likelihood of, of a broader kind of market crash. Um, he, he, the, the stuff that he was talking about as um, kind of uh, the, the rationale for why he thinks a crash is coming is, is largely kind of historical comparisons. Uh, so uh, like mm -hmm. a version of technical analysis, kind of like you were saying of it. So, you know, he mm -hmm. talked about like the, the dot-com buildup and like the, the crash in 99. And he talked about like the, the 2008 crash and kind of like the, the relative um, percentage movements between like the, the buildup and like the peak and the and the, the collapse. Um, so I don't put a whole lot of stock in that type of analysis, just because I, I think it, certainly it can happen. But I don't think that's that's kind of reason to believe that it will happen now, just because you've seen kind of like a similar um, technical pattern. Uh, the other mm -hmm. thing he, he talked about, which I, I disagreed with even even more strongly, was um kind of the the um collapse of high growth names like he mentioned the arc etfs uh, in particular and how they were at peaks in in february and they've uh they're, they're down quite a bit since then um and a lot of the growth names like i think he mentioned peloton um mm -hmm. and maybe a couple others as well which were kind of like you know COVID reopening plays uh and he talked about those and, and like they're they're pretty significant sell-offs since those relative highs earlier this year as kind of like proof that this, this collapse is already happening and then it's going to kind of spread like contagion to the rest of the market. But now my view on that is that um, those high growth names or those kind of COVID reopening plays were kind of overbought probably to begin with. I mean, if you look at like the, just like the multiples of, of a Peloton, um, I really like the company, but I just couldn't get around the, the valuation. So they were probably over overbought at the top anyways. Um, and then 
I think it's kind of natural if you are concerned about inflation, we've talked about this many times, high growth names are going to suffer anytime inflation fears um, crop up because investors are going to discount further away cash flows more than kind of more current period cash flows. So, so that I think is very clearly happening, but that doesn't mean that the overall market is going to collapse. I mean, that's, that's more kind of asset rotation into value stocks as, and uh, out of growth stocks. So um, I, I think, again, I didn't hear his whole thing, so um, it's possible I'm missing a, a couple of points, uh, but, but those two kind of um, issues that he brought up, I, I at least didn't really agree with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to listen and, 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 kind of have my, I'll, I'll, I'm curious. I want to listen to it. I know he's got a big following and he's been investing for a long time. So he certainly has a different viewpoint than uh, we do, but it, you know, it's good to look at things from different viewpoints and um, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll listen to it because I'm curious now. So, yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, with that, I guess uh, let's just stocks are collapsing. Growth stocks are collapsing. Uh, Tesla's down 85, 7% um 87 percent. that's 87 dollars <laughs> 87 i was it's gonna not say that bad. i said seven percent yeah it's down six seven percent <laughs> yeah i mean man whew, this is a uh, you know people are, are are uh panic selling a lot of these growth names that's for sure i mean i see some green and some value stocks like you were saying like there's certainly a rotation it seems like there's a lot of um you know people kind of crowding out of uh growth stocks all at once and Kind of putting money on the sidelines or figuring out how they're going to reallocate their chips based on maybe a new long-term interest rate environment versus if Baynard was uh took over instead of powell you know powell has his kind of um view of where he's gonna when he's gonna increase rates and such and maybe uh you know that's that's more likely to happen and now the market has to adjust for that versus before they thought there was a good chance maybe it seemed like Boehner was the favorite of like, I, I don't know. It seemed like rumors, the, the way the press and people were talking about it is that Powell was likely out. And so maybe, uh, you know, that turnaround has, has ruffled some feathers on, on how to value some of these growth stocks with the discount value, you know, cost analysis or whatever. So, yeah, we'll see yeah, how long this goes on for. Hopefully not much longer. I'm, uh, I'm ready for not a much, bit more yeah. green. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, uh, good chatting. And uh, yeah, it'll be on our YouTube live channel recorded. So hopefully uh, we'll have a better week next week when we do our, our next week's live stream. All right.